Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Morning, everybody. Thanks, Chris and Teresa. Hey, you want to hear a cool thing, cool story about donuts? Have you guys had a donut this morning? Yeah, right on. So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Patrick and I were talking about uh, just the teachers and school districts, and he used to be a teacher, and just it's a hard time to uh, be a teacher in a school district right now and everything, so uh, we wanted to send just some encouragement to them, and uh, uh, we decided we were going to send them donuts. So uh, Pastor Patrick... Uh, it turns out to be a lot of donuts. Uh, got dozens of donuts that first Friday of the school year for every uh, teacher and staff member at the Belton School District. And they just so appreciated it, loved it. I mean, just the encouragement of a donut went so, so far. And so we want to serve our community. We did it for Ray Peck as well and uh, gave them all donuts. And then uh, the following Friday, uh, did some of the private schools and Christian schools and different things in the area. And um, that ended up being featured on the radio stations Life 88.5 and K-Love. So isn't that fun? That's just a fun fun way to encourage people. That was on your behalf. So thank you, church, for being so generous. And and anyone in a leadership position right now, just from the bottom of my heart, hang in there. Uh, I I know it's it's a tough season, tough time. uh, But just keep relying on God, hanging in there. We're in a series called Tough Choices how to make godly decisions, and uh, the series, uh, I'd love for you to hear the whole, the whole series. Uh, the first week was on God's will for our lives, and we just talked about the theology of his will, sovereign, hidden will, his moral revealed will, his personal will for each of us, uh, and we asked the question, is there anything we could absolutely know for sure is God's will for us, and we looked at five times in the New Testament where it says, this is God's will for you. And uh, we, we took those seriously and found clearly God's will for us. The, this week for Tough Choices, I want to talk about making money decisions. Why would we include finances in a series on God's will and a series about decision making? And this is why. It's because finances are intertwined into so many different areas of our life. Just think about even just some of the decisions of life. They end up also being financial decisions, don't they? Choosing a a college, choosing a major, when to get married, when to have kids, where to live, where to work, uh, taking a promotion, when to retire, where to send your kids to school, getting counseling, medical decisions. Obviously, every time you go to buy something, it's a financial decision. Uh, where to travel, how to spend your time, how you spend your time also impacts finances. They, they all have financial implications. And if you're not fulfilling God's financial will for you, then you end up making all of your life decisions based on money. You become what's called a financially driven person, meaning you're not driven by goals, you're not driven by conviction, you're not driven by perspective. Or you're not even driven by God's will, but you're driven by finances. And every day, the question of all your decisions comes down to the bottom line and says, well, how how much does it cost? How does this impact our financial outlook? And of course, we don't want to be driven by finances. 
We want to be driven by hope. We want to be driven by calling. We want to be driven by God. We want to be driven by purpose. Many, many people have gone through a, a rough time in their life, a rough season of life financially at some point in their life. Maybe uh, by that I mean a time when finances were short or there was a lot of debt or you had a job loss or an illness that affected income or there was relational strife because of finances. What a, uh, just a show of hands today, who has ever in their life been through a rough season in their life financially? Okay, so now all the hands that are down, give some money to the hands that are up, right? <laughs> Everybody goes through this season regardless really of even how much or little money you have. It's a myth that only poor people experience financial stress. In fact, the more you have, the more you have to worry about, the more you gotta maintain, the more you have to insure, the more you gotta protect and diversify, the more you have to consider. My friend Clint sent me this this week. 100 years ago, everyone owned a horse and only the rich had cars. Now everyone has cars and only the rich have horses. <clears throat> My, how the stables have turned. And so everyone goes through the season of financial uh, stress at times in your life. And why? Because God wants to teach you some lessons. He wants you to trust him. Because money is so interconnected, intertwined into our life, God uses money to test our faith, to test our character. Uh, does God have anything to say when we uh, go through the seasons of financial stress? Absolutely, he does. There are numerous promises and principles in God's word. We're gonna be in two main passages of scripture today. Hope you hear God's word today. One of them is from Philippians 4. The other is in 1 Timothy 6. And uh, we'll also grab something along the way from 2 Corinthians. But in Philippians 4, he's finishing this letter with some gratitude, thanking them for a gift on your notes on the screen if you're watching online at home. This is on the app. Philippians 4, yet it was good, the Apostle Paul talking, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then here, here's... Here's this amazing verse, verse 19, so powerful. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And the church said, amen. That verse, verse 19, that verse applies, applied to them, the Philippians. It absolutely applies to you. It's a theme that's found throughout scripture. It's one of God's many promises to you. Let me read it to you again. New Living Translation this time. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice some different words in here. He will. 
He will supply all your needs. Not he, he doesn't think about it. He doesn't consider it. It's not he might. He will supply all of your what? Your needs. What needs? All of your needs. Needs. God will supply your needs. And that doesn't mean he'll supply all of your greeds. Like there is a difference between needs and greeds. Anyone who's a parent has recognized that. Do you give your kid everything you want? They, they want? No. Do you take good care of them? Yeah. Do you give them what they need? Yeah, he will supply all your needs, not based on your assets, but from his glorious riches, which have been given to us where? Where is this found? In Christ Jesus. Meaning, hello, this is not a promise for the whole wide world. This is not a promise for everybody. This is a promise for those who are in Christ, who are believers, who say, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. You're the manager of my life. You call the shots in my life. You are my leader. And God says, for those who make that commitment... I will meet all your needs. Uh, but you might be wondering, well, then why do I have financial needs that aren't always met? It's because of this. There are conditions with this promise, meaning there are requirements. We have to do what the Philippian church was doing to have this promise. So he even says in there, not every church is doing this, not every person's doing this. You did this, and here's the promise that you have because of that. So you can't just take this verse out of context go blow all your money on a horse race and then expect God to meet your financial needs. God has not guaranteed to bail me out of every stupid decision I make. There are specifically, in fact, five conditions, requirements that God says, if you'll do this, if you'll trust me in these areas, you will never have to worry. I will meet all your needs. You will never have to worry again. You might have financial seasons of struggle because God's going to allow those seasons in your life to teach you faith, but you'll never have to worry about it. And so I want us to identify what are the things that if we do them, if we trust God in these areas, that he'll guarantee every need will be met. Number one, if you're taking notes, God has promised, God promises to meet my financial needs if I write this in, learn to be content. God is much more interested in developing my character than developing my bank accounts. He's not going to give me things uh, if I've not learned this principle first, contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is not not having goals. Contentment is not not being wealthy. Many poor people who are not content. Many wealthy people who are not content. Philippians 4, 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is something you have to learn. It doesn't come naturally. By nature, human beings are not content. By nature, we're discontent. And so God wants us to, he wants to grow us up a little bit to learn to be content. What does contentment mean? I'll say it this way this weekend. Contentment means my peace does not depend and you fill in the blank there. What does your peace depend on? Your vehicle, your house, your business, your margin, your time, who your boss is, who is in office. This is good work to do. If you're not at peace, ask, what does my peace depend on? And at the end of that trail, when you get to the end of that trail and identify that thing, what you've found is what the Bible would call an idol. Because you're putting your hope in that thing. You're worshiping that thing. You're saying, my peace is not in the Prince of Peace, 
but it's in this thing or this person or this thing that needs to be changed. How do you eliminate discontent? The way you, you learn to be content is by eliminating the causes. The cause of discontent, it's always the same things. One of them is comparing. Comparing is what causes discontent. We compare everything. The education of our kids, our freedoms, our addictions, our lawns, our trucks, the trajectory of our business compared with the track record and trajectory of other businesses. We compare it all. We compare uh, our families, we compare our kids. We put my kid was student of the month on our bumpers. I love the one that says, uh, my kid beat up the student of the month. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Or uh, my kid was inmate of the month. That one makes me laugh too. But uh, whenever you compare, you're always gonna be discontent. You've gotta learn to be content. First Timothy 6 says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree, to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they, and that's gonna go on for a few verses to list several different things. One of them has to do with money. It says they think that godliness is a means to financial gain, but godliness with what is great gain? With contentment, it's great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I was there at the birth of both of my boys. Neither one came in with a smartphone or a, uh, a sound bar. That'd be great. Love to have a sound bar right now. That at their funeral, they're gonna leave with nothing. It all stays here. And one of the greatest secrets of peace of mind is to realize we brought nothing in, we take nothing out. One of the secrets of peace of mind is when you say, I don't really own anything. I don't. And I just get to use it for a little while while I'm here on earth. The Bible calls that stewardship. That you're the manager or the steward of what God allows you to have while you're here. But it's not really, not really yours. Uh, if God wanted you to lose it, you could lose it all overnight in a dozen different ways. When you have this idea that you're just the manager of the blessings God allows in your life, you hold them with an open hand. You're not always grasping, you're not always hoarding, you're not uptight about losing it. Uh, so what if you lose it? You are gonna lose it. We're gonna lose it. We don't take it with us. We might lose it earlier or quicker than we thought we would, but God can turn off one faucet and turn on another just as easily. We learn to be content. Why? Because uh, things don't last. People last, God lasts, God's kingdom lasts. And if you only intend, if I only intended to use uh, uh, wealth or money for personal selfishness, why would God help me do that? Why would God uh, help me buy into the myth that thinking more is gonna have me more at peace? There are different, there's different ways to see money, okay? You can love money. You can hate money. You can feel guilty about money or you can use money you can love it hate it feel guilty about it or use it use it to grow God's ways in your life use it for God's purposes if you don't learn contentment you're never going to be happy uh, there's a big study done of lottery winners and they discovered that the average amount of time the average time of happiness that it left in their life. Like this is lottery winners. 
How, how long do you think is the average? How many years were, were they happy because of their lottery winnings? Three months. <laughs> Three months. Like that's a lot of gambling and risk and loss and time for three months. Turns out it's not life-changing money, it's month-changing money. And unless you learn contentment, you always want more. Unless you do God's ways, it's never, it brings all these problems. You're unsatisfied, you need more. It, it just, you're not happy with it. Number two, God promises to meet my financial needs, if you're taking notes, if I ask for his help. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And you think, well, man, this seems obvious, ask for his help. But, I mean, it's amazing how often do we actually do this, though. God wants us to learn to ask about the needs in our lives, the financial decisions in our lives. One of the reasons we see so few miracles in our lives is because we just, we don't ask for them. And instead of living a life based on Christ, we live a life based on credit. If you want to see God work in your life, go to him. Ask for his help. Do you pray about major purchases before you pay for them? He's not going to give you everything you pray for. But there are some things that God wants to say yes to that he wants to give you to do a miracle in your life. And many have never have had a financial answer to prayer because they've never actually asked God for his help and waited for God to provide. 1 Timothy 6, again here, says people who want to get rich, so that's their goal, that's their focus in life, that's where their head's at, well, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. They've wandered from the faith. They've put their trust in money, even though the money says in God we trust on it. And before you, before you, Make a purchase before you make a decision. Ask Christ about it. Give God a chance. Why does God tell us over, over, over and over, over 20 times in the New Testament, to go to him and ask? Do you know why God wants to learn to ask you to learn to ask for things in prayer? Because he's a joyful father and one, he wants to give some things to you. He wants to provide for you. One of the greatest witnesses for Christ is a happy believer, one who is a content, who is content and who is provided for. They're not worried. They're not stressed. Give God a chance to provide for you or to direct you in a new way of thinking and a new way of achieving that goal or getting that thing. The first condition to have all your needs met is to be content. Learn contentment. The second is to really, actually, are you going to God and asking in faith? And then number three, God promises to meet my financial needs if I practice giving in faith. So when a farmer looks at his barren fields and he knows I'm going to be bankrupt if I don't get my, my crops going, he doesn't start griping about it. He doesn't say, oh, my barren fields. No, he goes out and he starts sowing seed and planting some seed. Now, if he has only a little bit of seed, he has a choice. He could eat the seed, he could hold on to it, he could hoard it, or he can give it away. If he holds on to it, that's all he's got. If he gives it away, in the economy of this world, God has set it up that when you give it away, God multiplies it back to you. The amazing thing is you don't just reap what you sow, you actually reap more than you sow. 
2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he's decided to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, not a guilt-driven, but a cheerful sower, a cheerful giver. In the physical world, if you plant two bushels of wheat, are you going to get back two bushels of wheat? No, you can expect 67 bushels of wheat. If you plant three bushels of oats, you will harvest on average 79 bushels of oats back. If you plant just seven pounds of corn, you will reap 120 bushels of corn back. I had a neighbor once who planted over a dozen tomato plants. They didn't realize how productive tomato plants were. And so when they're harvesting tomatoes, it's just, I mean, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Please take some of our tomatoes. Like it's just, it's a great harvest. It's the law, the principle of the harvest. And God set it up this way because he wants you to become like him. God is a sower. God is a giver. God is a giver. And when I give, I learn to become more like Christ. When I am stingy, I am like the devil. When I am generous, I'm like Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave. And everything you have in your life is because it's a, it's a gift from God. You'd have nothing otherwise. The principle is this. Whenever I have a need, I plant a seed. When I hold on tightly and hoard it, that's all I've got. But when I give it away, it multiplies. It sounds illogical, but you do it on faith. God's ways are not our ways. But the physical law of the harvest shows us, it's evidence for the spiritual law of the harvest. Some of you might say, well, when all my needs are met, then I'll start giving. God says, well, then you've entirely missed the point. You missed it. You give in advance. You sow in advance. Then the needs are met. God multiplies what you've already given. Not what you've promised to give, not what you hope to give. A little over a decade now uh, ago, a friend spoke into my life and he said, Rylan, God is not impressed by what you say you're going to do. Wow. He's impressed by what, when you act in faith, when you do it. He responds. When you plant the seed, you can say it all you want, hope it all you want, promise it, you, promise it all you want. But God's not moving on what you say you're going to do. He moves when you do. He moves, you move. You move, he moves. And God, he's just not impressed and taken by who I pretend to be. It's what I really do, who I really am. Let's finish this passage and and see what God says that he'll do in verse six. And says, and God is able to make all grace about you. Notice these wonderful words, these all words. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God promises to meet my needs, but whatever I want him to bless, whatever I want him to do this in my life, I've got to put him first. Uh, If I want him to bless my family, I put him first in my family. If I want him to bless my finances, put him first in finances. If I want him to bless a relationship, put him first in the relationship. Here's the truth. Another thing a friend spoke into my life, and that is you don't accidentally put God first. (laughs) You don't just wake up one day and you, you, like you have to intentionally do it. And there's no better time than others. There's no money amount that makes that happen more than others. And 
money touches so many areas of our life. And if I'm not putting him first in my money, can I really say that I'm putting him first in my life? Because it's so intertwined. It's so interconnected. God promises to meet my financial needs. Number one, if I learn to be content. Number two, if I ask for his help. Number three, if I practice giving in faith. And number four, if I maintain my integrity. God does not bless dishonesty. He just doesn't. He won't. He won't do it. Why is this an important principle? Because when you're going through a season of financial stress or of big decision, uh, the temptation is enormous to cheat in order to make ends meet, to do whatever it takes to make ends meet, uh, or do things that would be outside of your parameters, outside of your values. I see it happen often to people who thought it would never happen. They would never do that. They were shocked themselves that they had done it. And everybody has a temptation or something that causes them to throw out their ethics. And it may mean you shade the truth on a sale, exaggerate or under-exaggerate the value of something. It may mean you claim a false deduction on your taxes. You have a greed that you just talk yourself into and you justify it. Or you lie to keep a job or position or you go against what God clearly says is his will for you because it might impact you negatively. But you always lose in the long run when you lose your integrity. Back to 1 Timothy 6. It says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Don't love money. Use it to pursue these things in your life. I love this proverb. Do you ever just chuckle when you, when you come across certain proverbs? This is one that kind of made me chuckle. Better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and a fool. <laughs> Can I get a better amen somebody, right? That's where it's at. Friends, I know many people who live very comfortably, have beautiful lifestyles, and uh, it's awesome. Unfortunately, I know a, a couple of them that along the way, they had to sacrifice some of their values to get there. Or they had to sacrifice time with their family or friends or their church family to achieve it. And they've, they've said it to me. They said, I give it all up. I'd live in a rental with bugs. If, and I've, I'd have problems in my life if I could just get back the respect of my family, if I could get back the integrity in my life. Proverbs 10.22 says the blessing of the Lord, it makes a person rich. And God, he adds no sorrow with it. It's like wherever there's dishonesty, you may get a payoff, but sorrow is coming on the back end of it. When God gives, he freely gives. He doesn't hold it over your head. He doesn't hold it against you. And yes, sometimes it costs to tell the truth, but God says when you do it, I guarantee you will be taken care of. I guarantee you will not have to worry. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing I would encourage you to work on this week. And that is ask, what are my financial values? What are the handful of values that are gonna guide you in your decision making that when you come to a big financial decision, you have things that are predetermined that you can look at and say, if I do this, will it, make, will it enhance these values or will it injure these values? And just have a handful of them written down and ready that, that you and if you're married, that you and your spouse even agree on. I'll give you a few of mine and Lauren's. And these are just a, a, 
a couple of, uh, of our values that we decided, and if these work for you, great, take them, but I encourage you to work this process out. What are my financial values? One of them is combined finances. We are married, we are one. Two became one. But how can we be one if we keep this thing that's touching almost every other area of our life separate? It helps keep us close and united, for better, for worse. Babe, you get my blessings and you get my problems. <laughs> Babe, I get your blessings and your problems. We're in this together, for richer, for poorer. A another value is, is we say we live with an open hand. If my hand is closed around my stuff and around my money, yeah, I can maybe hang on to what I've got, but God, no one else can put anything else in. It's closed. And so it's not ours. It's an open hand with it. Another value we have in our finances is right now we say we make memories. Meaning for us right now, we value an experience or a trip or an event over a lot of furniture or a house that needs a lot of upkeep or a lot of machines or different things. Uh, so we're saying no to that stuff to say yes to some more experiences. Can't do it all. Got to, got to pick and choose. It may be the other way around for you. That's not a right or wrong. It's just a value that we have right now uh, that informs some of our decisions. Another I'll give you is, another value is we follow a plan. We both submit to a plan. And it's the best thing we've ever done. Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan for your finances? How to save? How to get out of debt? Uh, how, how to invest? How to buy things you need? How to buy things that you like and you want? I believe a Financial Peace University is a great plan and it does what it says, it brings peace. I put on the bottom of your outline, the FPU, it's meeting Sundays at two in the East Worship Center. It's nine weeks long. You could show up today, join us today. Uh, the, if you can't make it today, you could uh, join next week as well. They'll take you then as well. Some of you need this. Uh, you've been doing it your way for a while or, or what happens is you're trying to convince the person of your plan and they're trying to convince you of, your, of their plan and you just need to come together on a plan and unite and, and make it happen. What, what are your financial values though? What are the guardrails that keep you on track? How are you going to maintain your integrity so that God will bless you? God is guaranteed to meet all your needs. If you learn to be content, ask for his help, practice giving in faith, maintain integrity. And this last one, really sums up these other four. And that is if I trust him with my life. God says you can come to me and ask. I want you to prove your trust in me these other ways. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus talking about worries and needs. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Number five is, if I trust him with my life. Notice he says, seek first. As long as you have anything else as first place in your life other than God, the result of that is anxiety. It becomes a source of anxiety. That it was not meant to be first place in your life. There's only one thing that can live up to that, one thing that was meant to be, one person that's meant to be first place in your life. And God says, put me first in, my, in your life because then you can't lose that relationship. Any other thing, first place in your life, a career, a relationship, anything else, it's gonna create a source of anxiety because you could lose that thing. But God, you cannot lose. He cannot be taken from you. 
We close with 1 Timothy 6 again today. Verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. But put their hope in God. Friend, if God loves you enough to send Jesus Christ to die for you on the cross and save you and secure your eternal destiny, don't you think he loves you enough to care for you and do what he says he's going to do? I mean, tell me the logic behind this. I trust God for my eternal salvation. I trust that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's saving me from the flames of hell. He's going to return He's going to resurrect me and I get to live an eternity in heaven, not separated from him in hell, but in heaven with him. I can trust him for all of that, but I don't trust him to learn to be content. I don't trust him with, uh, with my tithe. I don't trust him with giving. I don't trust him with asking him for help in my decisions. That doesn't make sense. When God saved you, he solved your biggest problem. And if you can trust him, uh, to, if, trust him to get you to heaven, friend, you can trust him to provide for all your needs if you'll do what he says. Let's put our trust more deeply in him, church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for uh, this church. Uh, people who um, are God-fearing, God-loving, and they want to uh, trust you and trust you more. And Heavenly Father, we certainly do need your help. I mean, we thank you for your promises. We praise you for your promises. The promises to provide, the promises to save, the promises for our, our eternal destiny. God, who else would we trust? Where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. And Lord, we ask for your help in these areas that are so clear in your word. Help us to learn to be content. We don't want to depend on anything temporary for our peace. But the Prince of Peace has come. And he, inv he invites us to love him, to honor him. He says, I can come into your life and give you a peace that passes understanding. God, we want to live by the Prince of Peace. God, help us to learn to trust you, to ask you uh, for help. God, we want to be generous. No one wants to live a self-centered life. Help us to practice uh, giving in faith. And Lord, we need your forgiveness. We look at our integrity. It's nothing without you. Uh, we all have faults. We've all fallen short. We all sin. We all have gone against our conscience. We've all uh, uh, answered uh, when temptation has come. And God, we need your forgiveness. We need your justification to bring our integrity back together. And God, we need your help to maintain it. And God, as we think through and write down our financial values this week, I think that's a great exercise, a great thing to do. Uh, we need your help to do it, to do things that honor you, do things that are in wisdom, have values uh, that will serve us well. God, this money thing is so connected to our life, we can't get away from it. We don't want to love it. Uh, it's not useful to hate it. It doesn't help to feel guilty about it. But we want to use it for uh, your glory, for our good in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. 
we would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.